Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we have a very special guest. We are celebrating Women's History Month this month, and we are here with one of the greatest players of all time, somebody that has had a tremendous impact on tennis and is one of the nine people who are the reason that women on this tour now make what they make and have the opportunities that they have. We are here with Rosie Casal. Rosie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And in my own house. <laughs> I know that's right. Like well, that. well, you're in the place to be right now because the world is headed to Palm Springs right now to, to compete. Yeah. Indian Wells Tennis Gardens for the BNP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, funny, I walked my dog over there, so everything's gotten very crowded with all the uh, cars coming in and stuff. So it makes it not so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> we, we take away your peace, right? Because the desert is like peaceful and the grass is always green, despite, you know, I've, I've never seen so much underground irrigation anywhere in the world. Yeah, well, we had... We, we had some ceiling uh, irrigation. We had uh, a little bit of rain last night, which doesn't happen very often, but the sun is shining and it's dried everything up. So uh, we do need some rain in the desert. So you and your crew, the original nine, you, BJK, you all, I mean, took an incredible stance uh, back in the day for these girls to have the opportunities they have now. I remember when I was first introduced to you, I was talking to Billy and she's, oh, Rosie, come in, come out. Do you know, do you know Rosie? I said, of course I know of Rosie, but I never met her. And I was so shocked at your height because oh. when I hear about Rosie, I think of, <laughs> and, I, and I hear you speak and all the things you used to stand up and say, and, you know, just sort of like your fearlessness. I thought you'd be at least six, two, but you're five, two. <laughs> I certainly wish I was 6'2". Oh my gosh, that would have been so much fun. Um, yeah, 5'2 and a quarter, add that, but perhaps because of my age, I probably shrunk a little bit. But um, yeah, no, it, uh, great, great moments to think about it. And, and last year, we were very fortunate to uh, enjoy a, a wonderful tribute at the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport uh, to be inducted as a group that was quite an honor you know we we fought for that opportunity and you know I'm so happy that the Hall of Fame uh, board of directors and committee decided that they may be able to change some of their bylaws to include groups because uh, certainly the original nine were a very special group of women who really uh, when, when I keep thinking about it and I say God Jelly you have nine individual women but for, for, for a change, they all agreed on the same thing that we needed to fight, that we needed to, you know, stick together. And no matter what 
happened, whether we got suspended by the USLTA at the time, the governing body, we needed to stick together for this purpose of getting women's tennis on the map with equal pay. And, uh, you know, we, we were very fortunate that things went our way. So, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me is when you won your first Family Circle Cup in 1973 and you won 30 grand, which at the time was the biggest purse in women's tennis. I think in men's tennis as well. I think at the time in 1973, that was the biggest uh, purse uh, either for men or women. And so, you know, it, it, it was an exciting time because that was the first time that we were nationally televised on NBC. Uh, and it's always nice to be the first. I was the first one to win the Virginia Slims of Houston in 1970 when we broke away from, you know, uh, the Pacific Southwest and Jack Kramer and Gladys Selvin's dollar bill that we uh, contracted. So uh, Family Circle Cup, uh, now uh, the Credit One Charleston Open. That was a great moment to, especially to beat Nancy on clay. I mean, I, I remember that I was down 5-2 and getting killed and I decided, well, we're playing on clay and she's great on clay and I drop shot it and you know, five, two, five, three, five, four. I ended up uh, winning and it was kind of a, a wonderful moment to be able to say that uh, I won that first family circle cup and the great prize of 30,000 bucks. So, you know what, you could buy, you could buy a, a 350, 450 SL Mercedes uh, convertible for 20 grand. So 20 grand went to my convertible. <laughs> <laughs> so that was going to be my next question is because, you know, nowadays the kids get their big payday and they got to like splurge on something. So I was going to ask you at that time, what was your splurge? What was your reward to yourself? So that, that, that was yourself. my reward. I, I went to Mercedes Benz on Beverly Wilshire. I remember looking at this red car, beautiful, <laughs> 450 SL, 1973, walked right in there and walked right out driving it. So that was the exciting moment that I could certainly enjoy my 30 grand. And, uh, you know, um, it was really a monumental moment to, to have said that we, we, we had the biggest prize money ever awarded to a woman or a man. And, uh, you know, from there, obviously things have gotten a lot better for women, a lot better for tennis, lots of money out there. <laughs> A lot of money. I mean, Lou's first round of a slam now is a hundred thousand dollars. I I know it, it's it, it's unbelievable. You know what? Even the qualifiers make more than what we made in 1970, 71, 72, 73. Uh, amazing. Billie Jean made a hundred thousand dollars in the first year of the Virginia Slim. She had to play just about everything. We played singles, doubles, whatever we could play, and uh, you know she was the first one to make a hundred thousand dollars, and that was uh, a real uh incredible journey that she had in doing so and being the first so it's always nice as it to be the person to go down in the record books so take me back because you know you and i always talk about the limitations of the sport you know you deal with a lot of kids you're born in san fran or from san fran yeah i was born and, right in san francisco yeah and the how did you get into it because most of the time you know like i'm probably one of the few people no matter who the player is and where they're from I always am just curious right even if 
we're competing against them. I said, now, how did you start playing tennis? And most of the people say, I grew up across the street from a tennis club or my mom or dad played tennis. Was that your story? So my story was that my dad was a soccer player, but when he had injuries and broken ankle and what have you, he needed to do something. And he's from San Salvador, Central America, and they uh, migrated to the States uh, sometime in late 30s. And so uh, when when he started to play recreational tennis out of Gongay Park, I would see him, you know, gear up every every weekend, put on his wife's, you know, take take the racket out of that wooden press. And I would, you know, bug him and say, please take me. I want to go to Gongay Park. And finally he did and started taking me and I would hit against the wall. And then when they were done, I would come and hit with him and all the uh, other, you know, uh, people that would hit with kids because you know how things are <laughs> they don't ever want to hit with kids but that's how I got started I must have been about eight eight and a half years old and I just couldn't remember not being able to hit the ball I mean it was like you know this this was me this was natural this is what I wanted to do and that's you know I was fortunate that I found it at when I was eight eight and a half years old and then did your dad teach you and for how long well, of course, you know, he taught me throughout my, uh, you know, junior years till I was 13, 14, 15. And uh, of course, we would have our arguments. No, I think I need to do this. I need to do that. And finally, as you get older, you know, you decide to say that, you know, everything, right? <laughs> you know best. But I think once I started traveling and, and you know, when I was 16, 17, and of course, you know, the game grew, I grew well, not necessarily in size, but certainly, in, <laughs> in, in, yeah, I, I, I grew in, in, in knowing a lot more, but he gave me basically my strokes and, and you know, uh, all the things that, you know, the time that parents give kids. I mean, you know, there's so much schlepping them all over to the tournaments. I, I work with some kids, a couple of kids now, and, you know, I know how it feels when you're getting up early and taking them to the tournament and God knows what, you have to hang out all day long and stuff. So, you know, you got to have a, a, a parent like that who's willing to put in the time. Uh, so, you know, later on, we do thank them, um, you know, in ways of wanting to be the best. And uh, of course, when I started to play, I, I, you know, I really felt I could be. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Now, you know, it's funny. So you talk about the time that your dad invested schlepping you around. When I enter, when I sort of have people come into my program, especially dads, and they have daughters, and I'm say, hey, this game will give you two things. Number one, it, could, it should give you a kid a college scholarship if you commit. But number two, it's going to give you so much time in the car with your kid that your relationship with your kid is going to be so deep Right. And it can be good or bad when it gets like 13 or 14. If you become a crazy tennis dad, it can go bad. But when you look at the relationship between junior tennis players and their parents, they are so deep compared to team sports where the coach puts 15 boys on the bus, takes them right, boys and girls. And so I think that that is one of the greatest gifts that this sport gives 
to kids and their parents? I, it, certainly in the, in the former years. When I look at some of the things, though, I, I think sometimes that the parents cannot let go. And and so that presents a, a unique problem. You know, I, I, I feel that that uh, when I look at some parents and they're so invested and I can understand, I mean, you know, they paid for everything, they, their time, you know, they care. They, like I said, slap you all over the place. So um, it's understandable that sometimes the kids feel like they owe something to the parent. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it manifests itself. Uh, I see that in some of the situations in professional tennis with uh, the players, uh, either the men or the women, basically the same. You got fathers as coaches. You got uh, sometimes uh, mothers as coaches, but they, they know when to stop and ask for better coaching. But I don't, I don't know that the, the male daddies know that. <laughs> I think, you know, who I'm talking about, but... You know, um, we always think we're gonna it, forever be the coach. Yeah, the, dad, it, it, the dads are hard yeah. in a simple way. Well, I, I think I think it's good in the beginning, and I think it's good even if you bring in somebody, you know, that could help because it, it's always better with with a different outside look at things. And sometimes you get so involved, and you think you know. And I gotta say that unless you've been at a certain level of, of, of playing and coaching, you're not gonna know the ins and outs. You just will not, I don't well, care. Do you remember uh, 2017, the night before the US Open, you were actually at Billy's house when I came to watch Absolutely. my show. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one, of the, one of the biggest gifts that I would say that I received was early when I started traveling on tour, just sitting and listening, asking a question, and when you and Billy get to talking, I mean, you, you, I ain't got to say a word for 30 minutes because y'all just not going to stop. But asking a question. So what do you think she's going to feel tomorrow? I have no idea because I never played a grand final. So what do you think? And that turned into like two hours. And like between you and Billy fighting for the floor. I mean, that was one of the greatest gifts. So you talk about being willing to listen and enlist help. And for me, I'm like, I got no ego. If you're going to give me one thing that I can leave here and give to her, that's going to help her win and help me win, right? Because when she wins, I win, then I'm going to take it. So that was one of yeah. the biggest gifts that I've ever received. Well, you know, uh, that's good that you think that way and feel that way because often, you know, uh, there are a lot of um, coaches that may not feel that way, that feel they may know everything and they don't want any intrusions. And uh, of course, uh, our generation always talked about tennis. I mean, we played it and we played against one another. We practiced against one another. We, we did everything with one another and we would talk about our matches, you know, really analyze them and talk. And we, and we enjoyed it. Nowadays, these kids don't talk about tennis. They really don't talk about the match or, you know, it's just the coach. The coach, you know, may want to say something. Well, we're not going to discuss it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit different. I mean, we, we, we always want to talk tennis, talk shop, you know, and, and I think that's why we, we are better students of the game because we really learn the ins and outs and we learn other perspective, you know, okay. And Joan, you know, had a great slice, great touch in forehand. And if she could kill you six love, six love, it didn't matter how long it would take, but she'd kill you six love, six love, you know? And, and why she felt the way she felt, why she played the way she, I mean, we all shared things and we were all 
helpful to one another. But because you have a different, obviously, perspective and you different dynamics here with players really having their own team, you know, they don't share at all. And I'm not saying all of them. There may be some that do, but we're not that privy to it because we're not really that close to the players. You know, that, that, that I, I, I kind of always complain about this to the WTA that as, as, as the original nine, as the, the, the founders of the tour, we should be able to go everywhere and anywhere, just like the NFL players can step foot in the locker room or on the field and feel that they're a part of it. They've been a part of it. We don't feel that way. Certainly, let me speak for myself. I do not. And, and, and we know that, hey, locker room's sacred. Would I go in there if somebody of today's player are in there? No. Would I go in there later on when everybody's gone? Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. because we felt the same way. We've been there. So these kind of restrictions, I hate. You can only do this. You can. We should be able to go anywhere, everywhere, anytime, anywhere. Period. Well, let me ask you this: because you see a lot of girls on tour now struggling, whether it be emotionally, struggling with the balance on, you know, maybe maybe they got married, had a baby, whatever, have, having to come back. Um, you know, do you feel like there is this sort of gap, right? So we've got the original nine and all that you all did for the game, right? But if you think about now, somebody that's eighteen years old on tour who was born in 2004 yeah. may not have, may not be as connected to what you all did in 1970, 71, yeah. right? Yeah. Because it's been 30 years, born 30 years later, but they probably need to be. because some of the same struggles with the player council, with equal prize money, with the co-gender tournaments and how sometimes the girls get a lower level hotel than the guys in Europe, right? Do you feel like you all need to be invited back into the room because you're still fighting similar struggles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think that what we could offer would be considerable. And, and it would be nice that, that we can get to know and say, yeah, I, 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 I've met, you know, Vardy or I've met, you know, Sabalenko, I've met the other players, um, but we don't, we don't know who they are. When, when I have friends say, have you met, you know, uh, any of the players, young players? No, I don't know Radakanu. I don't know Fernandez. I don't know any of them. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice because then we would start to have a nice connection for them to understand the history. And, and I know WTA does their best to try and make them understand where they've come from, but you know, I think it would be a nice thing to, and, and I know everybody does know Billie Jean, you know, because she's global, but, but the rest of them, uh, to be able to, you know, at least meet them, talk to them. And I know that they have mentoring programs and, and I've never been a part of it. Um, and I think that, uh, certainly some of the players should, you know, older players should be on a representative on, on a board, uh, you know, it, 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 it floors me that not one of the past players are on the board, mm -hmm. you know, to represent whatever, you know, we keep updated, you know, we understand how the game has changed both in, in, in the physical way and how you play it, but it would be nice to know a lot more and be in the end of the sport that you started. Mm -hmm. And I think, even if it was a informal 
sort of mentor, mentee, even a gentle introduction, like, hey, you know, because BJK can't help everybody, right? I mean, you know, she can't help top 100. Every, every top 100 player can't just solely reach out to her. If we could just sort of distribute, you know, some of that to make some connectivity, like, hey, you know, you're going to be faced with this challenge or your style resembles this person. Talk to her about how she was successful. You know, Rosie's five too, right? Talk about how she won 112, she held 112 trophies, right? So like, that's not a small number, right? So I'm, I'm coaching a player and just last Sunday got her seven trophies. So I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, it, it's taken a lot of work to get seven. You got 112. Now, now, granted, as I say, you know, we were starting and, and certainly the competition isn't what it is now, without a doubt. And we understand that, that today you got to be ready to perform in a first round because you're going to get a tough match. So, but nonetheless, we understand that. And, you know, we understand that games change. Look at the players so much bigger, so much stronger. All that they get. In, in nutrients, uh, in, in fitness, and in, in, in coaching, and in, in how they travel. I mean, those that have money travel, you know, privately and understandably, they can afford it. And you know, uh, there are better uh, retirement plans for them already than there ever was for us. We're still trying to get our five thousand dollars from WTA from the you know whatever pension plan was sort of put together. And, and it, it, it's just a different life and a different time, we understand. But I think that, yeah, there's always some things that bring you together, whether you're number one today or you, you were number one yesterday. You know, there, there are things, especially in the game, that, that, that one built and, uh, you know, ha had certainly a lot of inspiration that, that it would grow into something Perhaps, you know, our minds didn't wrap around what it is today, but certainly the progress, it was, I know we're going to get there. I know mm -hmm. we're going to get there. And, and, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done because tomorrow I could be all gone. I mean, look, you know, more money, the promoters have to put up more, more risk, more everything. I mean, you know, yes. You watch the tennis channel, the, the three, four turns going on, you know, at the same time, very global, understood. But in a moment's notice, I mean, look what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, the wars, you know, it, it can impact, it can go into Europe. All of a sudden things change. You have no tennis. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so, yeah, I think, you know, the players have to perform, yes, and they have to also get involved. And, and I think they need to leave legacies, just like our generation left the legacy. And then you had Chris and Martina and Tracy, and they left legacies and so forth. And I think now less so, less so. We have to leave, uh, every generation's got to get better, has gotten better, and they need to do more for the game, more for the sport. We need to ensure that this is going to continue to grow and be the sport that we love and, and, and that has nurtured us and kept us going. So you talk about legacy and like sort of growing the sport. You know, when I think of Palm Springs, it is sort of symbolic of what tennis is in my tennis experience. And it is a lot of tennis, but all in gated communities, right? And so there's like so much tennis around the world, but there's always this like 
this, this hint and aura of inaccessibility. Talk about what you're doing now, because you know one of the, our first one of our first introductions was Billy. Uh, you know, Billy introduced me to you and said, "Hey, come out! You got to meet this great player that Rosie's working with, Taylor Johnson, and she's like still coaching. You guys should talk. Tell us about like your legacy you're leaving now by touching some of these players." And obviously, Taylor went on, you know, is, is at UCLA yeah, right that's now. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's you know, you know, you definitely had, had a big part in that. So talk about your legacy now and what you're doing with the kids and about what we need to do to get it out of the gated communities, right? Symbolically and into neighborhoods. Yeah, well, that's that's a challenge here. As I said to you, we're surrounded by underserved kids and communities and uh, my foundation, the Love and Love Tennis Foundation. Um, and, 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 you know, that's part of the NJTL now and uh, USCA. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, come up with programs that will be outreaching and, and, and continuous. And uh, what's difficult is, uh, like I said, we, we go to Coachella Valley in the east, uh, you know, a, a lot of agriculture and migrants and very far from being able to come to the tennis gardens. If, our, if I was supposed to put a clinic together, it's all about transportation. The parents work, can't do it. So what, I, what, what I'm doing is, is reaching out to all the high schools in those different areas, Coachella Valley High School, Desert Hot Springs and North, again, underserved uh, in, in, in the West and North part of Palm Springs. Uh, you know, you, again, uh, you have the African-American community. It's far for them to come into the tennis gardens and Indian Wells and Ranch Mirage. So, you know, I'm working with the high schools and trying to have their tennis team put together um, clinics, free clinics. We have them giving uh, free clinics one hour every week. And if we could step it up to twice a week, we will. And so I've got five or six involved in that. And Fila has been great in, in, in assisting somewhat with uh, sponsoring. And so, you know, we feel that if we could keep it in their community. And fortunately, the tennis courts are available when the team's not playing, but they're willing to do this. And we give them grants for their equipment or transportation and travel and whatever they may need. And, uh, you know, we think they're serving their community. And I also work with the Boys and Girls Club and we go in there and to the little gyms and we help the kids learn how to play tennis and so how we could spread the word, because I, I've got to say tennis has been great to me, and I cannot even imagine what my life could have been or would have been had I not hit that white at the time tennis ball. Now we got a yellow ball. And so um, it's amazing uh, how, how much the game has grown. But on the other hand, when we look at other sports, and especially team sports, we are still way behind that yeah it's winter and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with uber eats what do we mean by almost well you can't get a ski slope delivered but you can get dish soap delivered sunshine that's a no but a bottle of wine that's a yes a snow angel sorry no but angel hair pasta Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. 
So you talk about working with the high school kids. One of the things like now, when you think about high school athletes, right? They say they graduate high school, they can go and start playing professional tennis. And within two or three years with some level of success, you will make a postgraduate salary. But back in the 70s, right? And in the 60s, it wasn't so clear cut. So college was still a good option because it wasn't like you were going to make a million bucks in the next two years playing tennis. So how did you decide well, not to go pro? I mean, not to go to college and to go pro. Oh, that was an easy decision. I hated school. It was <laughs> never my favorite thing. I, I, I really, I mean, I couldn't wait to get out of school. So when I finally graduated and I was 17 and Billie Jean had asked me to go to Wimbledon and play with her, I couldn't believe it. So you know, it, 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 getting an education, I think is important for many of them because not everybody can make a transition into becoming a pro and going into either WTA or ATP. So things are changing now. I mean, the opportunity for us was really very limited. There was no professional tennis. There was no money. It was all about the love of the game and getting money under the table if you were decent. So, you know, you never really knew but you were hopeful. And if you were decent, you would at least cover your expenses and make a little bit on the side. And so, you know, Title IX didn't come into the picture, I think, till 1972. And again, scholarships for women in sports and you couldn't pursue. Mm. And so, you know, the opportunities were not available to us. And fortunately, as Title IX came into the picture, of course, scholarships for women and sports and stuff and education really happened. And, and so, you know, I still have uh, women that come up to us and thank us for having paved the way for that. And, uh, you know, it, it makes you feel good that you contributed that kind of inspiration and, and, and hard work in trying to get things to change for women because it, it has been an uphill battle for women, for sure. And it's so great to be able to see them making equal price money or pretty much close to that now in tennis. Uh, you know, when I look at soccer, they're, they're struggling, they're fighting, they, you know, they deserve it. I look at ice hockey for the women. I mean, you know, they're struggling, they're fighting like we were, but, you know, they haven't quite obtained the success that we were fortunate. And we were very fortunate to have gotten Philip Morris and, and Virginia Slims with lots of money. At that time, it was lots of money for us. But now it would be a whole different story. You know, you would need a whole lot more money. But things were right in the 70s. Things were right for women. You know, we had the women's lib movement. We had the change in, in, in you know, uh, from uh, the, the closed era to open era tennis. And so, you know, there were booming times in the early 70s for, for tennis. Probably the 73 through 75 were the probably the, the most progressive time for, for tennis. So let me ask you, you got as high as three in the world, right? And maybe at that time, it wasn't as big of a financial difference between three and number one. I've spoken to somebody before and they said, you know what? I never wanted to be number one <laughs> because I could make the same money at two or three without all the pressure of being number one. What do you think about that statement? Oh, well, okay. Either you know yourself well and you're complacent with that. And I think, you know, that's okay for somebody to say that because if you feel you don't want to put in or you do not have the discipline or 
do you have the talent or ability to become number one? I mean, certainly I wanted to be number one and I'm, you know, I regret that I, I, I was unable to win at least one slam in singles, one in doubles, but not in singles, came close. And I always felt I could, and and that is very motivating. I mean, I I was motiv motivated by the fact that I I did want to be number one, but then comes Billie Jean and Margaret Court and Yvonne Goulgan and everybody to spoil things for me. So it was like I never really had my 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 moment, my little you know. Sometimes that happens in 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 you know somebody's career that you're not quite you know like you have the Agassiz and the you know. Uh, um, Pete Sampras and you know what whatever and you're trying to get in there and 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 it's tough or the Murrays and the uh Rogers and the Nadals and you're trying to make your way now 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 they're kind of gone except Rafa's still hanging around playing great tennis but you have the younger generation obviously with Sarev and you know uh Jenner and team. team and team and you know uh, Medvedev and uh, so, so yeah, there's there's room there for them to move to number one, and they have, and and for the women as well. I mean, it's wide open for the women, but when you had Billie Jean and Margaret Court, and you know some of Virginia Wade that were very close in that, and Ann Jones, and you know whatever, um, yeah, you have to you have to be fortunate to come in a good time. I remember when Serena went and had we got pregnant. And Wozniacki had a two years there when she slipped into number yeah. one. I know yeah. Serena said, I'm pregnant. And Wozniacki said, yes, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, so you do have to have a combination of things. You got to be lucky. You got to be in there in the right time at the right place and take advantage of your moment. Yeah. Well, I feel like we just took advantage of you. I, I really do appreciate everything that you do. Uh, I know you have the Level Up Foundation with Tori Fretz. Tell us, I know you talked about the high schools, um, but this year you're honoring Billie Jean King. Yes. Did. I got to ask you, you won 112 titles, 56 with Billie Jean. Did you carry her or did she carry you? Well, I think we, we, we did a, a little bit of both. And I think that's what happens in doubles. You know, <laughs> when, 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 when you're not firing up, you just got to, pick up the slack and when they're not firing up you got to pick up the slack and I think that's what makes a good doubles team uh, we we were very compatible we had the game uh, that you know we enjoyed playing serve and volley at the time and I still say a serve and volley will beat whatever's out there today I wish I could challenge that but I can't because I'm too old but I still say whoever gets their butt up to net is going to control the match now let me ask you this talk about controlling the match who played the ad side? Uh, she did. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we changed. Sometimes we changed. But but basically, she played, played the ad. I would get her the ad. She'd have to clinch it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My job was get the ad, let her clinch it. She, you know, like her saying goes, pressure is a privilege. Give and like I, said, like I say, <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you can erase that. But hey. I said, you know, she loves it. And I, I never, I never felt that way, but I, but I, I, I handled it as well as I could, you know, but I, I didn't embrace it the way she did. That's right. She wants that pressure. Go ahead. Take that side. Right? <laughs> I said, you take that ad. 
Well, thank you so okay. much, Rosie. Well, thank you. Good luck next week, and I, I will catch up with you, okay? All right, thank you. This has been a Tennis.com podcast. We are had we had the privilege of being with one of the original nine, uh, 112-time title holder on the WTA tour, uh, a mentor to many, uh, Rosie Casal. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.